Good morning. We're uh, continuing our series uh, of stories, uh, and today we'll be looking at Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, which you can find on the screens to my left and right. Verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistine for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah came from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son, whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because a boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Amen. This is the word of God. Alright. Yeah, the band and I have a little thing going. I can't do it today though, guys. See, they're trying to get me to do some spoken word for you guys, but it's alright. I like that. One day they're going to get me, so just be prepared. <laughs> hey, good morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to start out today with a question. Are there any family historians in the house? One, two, three. All right. Or does any of us have um, someone in our family that knows way too many details about our family story? Okay. So I remember taking um, a pastoral counseling class, and we had to do these things called genograms. And genograms are simply um, this larger way to connect to the genealogy of your family line. And in this class, it was necessary to, do, to have this uh, genogram because it will help you realize the things about yourself so as to not... Um, Project those things on people when you're helping counseling, counseling them or pastor them. Does that make sense? So it was a really important, it was probably one of the more impactful times in my academic experience. It was a really dope class for me. And man, I remember looking at my genogram and saying, man, it's not too much stuff here. Like people in my class were leaving the room and they were calling their grandparents and they would come back sobbing like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know, Nana, I didn't know. Like they had all these stories, Myra, they were connecting to all these stories in their past and some people came back and was like, I didn't know my uncle started a, a glass business or my grandmother lived till she was 102 and I'm like, I'm looking at my genogram, I'm like, man. And, and I realized it was there that either I had been so disconnected from the larger narrative of my family and... I, pr I really didn't have this, this, this interest to actually go figure, figure it out and find out. See, so like, like recently my aunt passed and we were down in North Carolina and my uncle, he's like the walkingancestors.com billboard, right? So we're like talking, we're having a conversation and after every, almost every story, somebody talked about going maybe to Las Vegas or something like that and he's like, yeah, you know you got a cousin, right, who lives in Las Vegas, like my uncle's brother's aunt's niece, which is your cousin, 
lives in Las Vegas, right? You know you can be connected to them. I'm like, I would never know that person. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't help me. He said, you would know if you got an Ancestors.com profile. <laughs> I'm like, uncle, calm down. Calm down, man. But, but God's people have a narrative as well. God's people have a, has a larger narrative, a larger story that I think God wants to plug us into and wants us to know and be familiar with. I think it's important to understand the history of where you've come from and, and, the, and the, the founding fathers in your line so that you can understand more about yourself and get connected more to God. And so that's why we started our series on stories you should know. Because God's people have a larger narrative. And today we're going to talk about Samson. And, and Samson, see, I don't know what we come here thinking, but for me, when I grew up, um, and I, when I say grow up, I mean like in my high school years, because my family, we, didn't, we weren't a Christian family. We didn't, we didn't go to church every Sunday. But from what I did hear, man, the Bible stories that I did hear, I just remember Samson being this, this like Christian Hercules, right? Anybody? Right? This like this Christian dude, he was so massive and strong and he got tricked by some woman and that was his downfall. But there, there's so much more to Samson. There's so much more to his story. And, and if we look at Samson, what I love is Samson's story is packaged in this book called Judges, the book of Judges. Now, don't think about uh, like Judge Judy or Judge Alex. I know some of y'all watch Judge Judy. Yeah. Don't. We're going we to get some claps for Judge Judy out there? Wow. Some faithful TV watchers. But don't think about those type of judges. See, the book of Judges kind of displays this time in, in the, the history of the people of God where there was no king. And these judges were, were think about like community leaders or tribal leaders. And those are the people that were actually uh, helping lead God's people. But Judges is so discouraging in this sense that we get to see, like, man, some of them started out okay, but there's a spiral. There's a downward spiral, and these leaders are actually terrible. They're not good, and Samson is the chief one who's not that good. He actually is one of the worst judges in, our, in the history of God's people, and that's a lot different than what we usually get to know about him. And the truth is the fact that judges displays this, it helped. I had to stop and think, I'm like, wait, God, hold up. You have these people who are terrible leaders leading your folks. Why would you do that? Because God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. I'm going to say that again. God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. So listen, on one end, Samson wasn't this great leader, but then we get to see in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, it's kind of known as the hall of faith, where it's a, it, the author of the book is actually running down all the dope leaders in God's, the history of God's people, running them down, and he gets, he gets to the bottom, and he's at, well, I don't know if it's a he or a she, the author the author of the book gets to the bottom of this list, and they're like, man, listen, I can't even go anymore. And in verse 32, the author says this, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. 
who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So on one hand, we see Samson is this terrible leader, but he's listed in the hall of faith. This dude is listed as one of the greats in, our, in the genealogy of God's people. And here's why. Because God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. And so as Lester read, we started, we, we heard a little bit about the beginning of, of Samson's life. And, and what we get to see first is Samson was a miracle baby, right? He was a miracle. His, his mom could not bear children. And so she, she gets this visitation from an angel. Man, when I have my children, I wish I would have got a visitation from an angel. Would have told me how to raise these rugrats. But, but she, she gets this visitation. The angel says, hey, your son is going to be set apart from the womb. He's going to be dedicated to God. And here, here are the instructions. Don't drink any wine. Don't have his hair cut. Like, uh, don't eat anything unclean. Like, she gets all of these details to how great and incredible this son, who she, she couldn't even have on her own, is going to be. And so we start out with this picture of Samson and this great promise of a life. And then we get into the downward spiral. And so uh, we get to see right away, uh, Samson marries a Philistine woman. And so check it out. This is, this is how it works. I'll get into the story a little bit. Um, but Samson goes to his parents. He's like, hey, mom, dad, I found me a boot thing. And she's a Philistine. And they're like, what? Are you crazy? Can't you? Don't you think you could find someone else? And he's like, nah, this is who I want. Go get her for me. And, you know, Samson's kind of big, so I could imagine his parents like, all right, it's okay. Calm down. But so Samson is going. He goes to this town. He goes to meet this, this, this woman now. He, he falls in love with her. He marries her. And he has this, like, enormous wedding, this wedding that lasts for, like, this reception who, what, that lasts like three or four days. I wonder like how many, how much livestock is in that budget, right? Like a, 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 a ceremony, uh, a, a ceremony of 30, he had 30 groomsmen. Somebody say, ouch. Like 30 groomsmen, I feel sorry for his bride. Like how was she gonna match everybody? All right, you go with you. She probably gave up after a while. Like she, he had 30 groomsmen and so the people are throwing this big reception and at the reception, he gives his groomsmen a riddle. And see, the Philistines were people of a very smart reason. So in, in Samson's arrogance, he's like, yo, figure this riddle out. And if you don't figure it, if you do figure it out, if you actually get it, I'm going to buy everybody in here some new Jordans. All of y'all. All of y'all, if you get it, I'm going to buy everybody some fresh clothes, some new Jordans. And so he tells them the riddle, and for literally three to four days, they can't figure it out. They're like, what? What, did this, what does this mean? And so they go to his wife. They're like, yo, listen, you better get Samson to convince, to tell you what the answer to this riddle is, or we're going to kill you and your daddy. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a little harsh. My groomsmen? I would be really upset if I was Samson. Like, don't be talking to my wife like that. But, they, but they, tell, they scare her, basically, and she goes, she says, Samson, like, you don't love me, man. You got these people out here thinking that I brought you to, to conquer their land and everything. Like, just tell me what the riddle means. 
And so in his weakness, he tells her. And she tells them. And they come and they find out the riddle. So now he's upset because what? He has to buy everybody new Jordans and some clothes. But instead of doing that, he goes to some random town and he just beats up and kills 30 people, takes their clothes and gives it to them. Like Samson was a wild boy. Am I, like, are, are we seeing that? I'm thinking to myself, like, man, what kind of guy does that? And so that, that was kind of the beginning of the downward spiral. Point two, uh, he, his disregard for his Nazarene vows. And so what we didn't highlight in this story about him going to find his wife is that while he was on his way, his mother and his father, they were, I guess, some feet ahead of him. And Samson actually, the Bible says that while Samson was walking, a young lion jumps out at him. Now, this is my, just a little problem with the Bible, Crystal. I'm going to just say, I'm going to be honest. Like, I would have loved to see right after that sentence in the Bible, it says, Samson was startled. Like, come, like let's be real for a second. If a, a lion jumps out, I don't know anybody that's just going to stand there. And, but the Bible says that Samson grabbed the lion and he ripped the lion apart as if he was ripping off the head of a young goat. Like, what kind of strength is that? What kind of power is that? And I'm like, man, that's kind of crazy. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, where were his parents? You don't hear this dude wrestling with a lion? Like, how do you not see what's happening? And so he kills this lion. And then in, this, in these days, the type of marriage that Samson had, uh, his wife was allowed to stay with her family while he went back home. And he would come back and forth and visit. And so on the way back to visiting, he sees the carcass of the lion and there's honey in it. And so he dips his hand in it and he eats the honey. And that is a direct violation of his Nazarene vows. Because, see, he was supposed to be set apart. See, the idea was this. If you were set apart, these vows were to help show how you were set apart for God's usage. And we get to see that Samson was so, had such disregard for God that he really didn't care that at this time as a judge, he was going to do what he wanted to do, what he saw fit. And so in his arrogance, again, he dips into the honey and he eats of it, totally disregarding the vow that he made. And the, the, the spiral continues. Um, we get to see how impulsive Samson is because he gets his wife and his father killed. So he shows up to her house at this time, right? Knocks on the door. Hey, I'm here to see my boot thing. His dad comes, her, her dad comes to the door and she's like, uh, uh, the dad is like, um, you can't see her. And Samson is probably, I'm imagining, he's puzzled. And he goes, the father says, hey, remember what happened at the reception? Man, I thought you would be done with my daughter. I thought you, you hated her, so I gave her to your best man. What? I know Samson was tight, my best man. Not my best man. I know he was tight. I, I'm, I'm sure the father-in-law the father probably backed up from the door at that point. But he was like, he was like look, you could take my other daughter. She's pretty. Take her. You could have her as a wife. And so Samson gets really angry. He says, you know what? These Philistines, I'm going to really harm them. So he goes out. See, see, this is a real story. It's in the Bible. Like, he goes out and he finds 300 foxes. 
Like, how do you capture 300 foxes? What are the other foxes doing while you're chasing the other 200? So he grabs these 300 foxes. The Bible says he ties them up, and he ties them up by their tails and pairs, and he puts a torch on each of the pairs, and he lights the torches, and he sends the 300 foxes into the vineyards and the, the olive groves of the Philistines, and it destroys basically their entire economy. And Samson was that kind of person. Like, he destroyed their entire economy. And so he gets, they, they get really upset. The, the, the people, the Philistines, when they find out about this, they're like, yo, who did this? People are like, oh, it was Samson. They find out that Samson's uh, wife and his father-in-law, where they live, they go, they grab her and him, and they burn them and they kill them. And so in his impulsiveness, he gets his wife and his father-in-law killed. And remember, remember what I said in the beginning. This is someone who is leading God's people. God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. The spiral continues. The fourth point is he, he goes to a place called Gaza. Because after, after he did, uh, after the, 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 his wife and his, his, um, his father-in-law were killed, he goes out and he kills more and more Philistines, just in his rage and his anger. And he hides in this cave. And then he goes to a place later on, he goes to this place called Gaza, and he finds a prostitute, and he sleeps with her. And the people in Gaza find out about him, and they plot to kill him. And then the spiral, what we really know of Samson's life is probably the fifth one. He marries another Philistine woman. Now this, her, her name is, Del yeah, I know, Delilah, that sneaky, dirty Delilah. Right? That's kind of how she's portrayed. But, I mean, we get to see Samson's life was just a complete mess. Delilah was his second wife of, a, of the Philistines who were actually the people who were oppressing God's people at the time. For 40 years, mind you. So, he marries, uh, he marries Delilah. And the Bible says he really falls in love with her. And so the Philistine leaders, again, trying to get back at Samson. At this point, he has a reputation. He's destroying all their stuff. And, and now they're like, hey, Delilah, you need to figure out where this dude's strength comes from. You have to tell us. And they don't threaten to kill her. They bribe her. They say, here's some money. If you figure it out, you'll get, the, get this money. And so eventually... Um, he has no regard for his vows. He has no regard for God at this point. He, Samson just tells her what it is. The Philistines come and they capture him. And see, in just a quick summary, man, Samson was a really wild dude. But the reality is he was the one that God chose to lead his people at this time. The Bible says in the beginning of his life, it was said that he would begin the deliverance of Israel. He would begin the process of God's people actually getting free. And I'm sure if any of you are like me, we're probably like, how the heck is that going to happen? And, and moreover, why are we thinking, why would God use a guy like Samson? Why would this be in our genealogy? And here's why, because God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. So what do we learn about God from Samson's life? What do we learn about God from Samson's life? The first is this, 
God is faithful to his plan. I'm going to say that again. God is faithful to his plan. See, what I've learned is that we are more God's than God is ours. God is more committed to us than we are committed to him. And so the, the people of Israel were God's people. The Bible helps us make that really clear. God chose these people. It wasn't merit. It wasn't that they were these magnificent people who dressed really nice, who went to a diverse church, who knew a hundred scriptures. No, it was God's choice, and he chose the people of Israel to be his people. And he would make sure, even if he had to use an imperfect dude like Samson, he would make sure that the deliverance that they needed would actually happen. And so too, for us, man, even though, see, Samson's life is found from Judges 13 to Judges 16. And maybe some of us, if, if, if our lives, if we could liken ourselves to Samson and our lives were in three chapters, maybe some of us are on the second half of the first chapter. Maybe some of us are in chapter 15 and we thinking, man, God can't use me. God can't use me. I'm, I'm, I messed up. I, I broke my vows. I'm, I'm slowly drifting away from my lineage of God's people. Well, God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. And don't believe that lie because God used Samson to bring forth the deliverance of his people. The second thing we learn, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And see, so what I left out about the end of his life, see, Samson's, when he was captured by the Philistines after his strength left, his eyes were gouged out. Like, yeah, that's, that's harsh. His eyes were gouged out. He was blinded, and he was actually sent into a place to do, like, some prison work. And they had him, like, doing these, these tasks that only slaves would do. And so here we see this really robust very strong man now, very weak and pitiful. And so what happens is he goes out to this place where the Philistines are actually worshiping their God. And he's probably on a stage like this, and there's two beams on the side of him. And, and in, while he's between those beams, he's pushing on the pillars, and he, he cries out to God in his weakness. He says, he says, God, if you would just give me my strength back one more time. If you would just allow my strength to come back one more time and I could push over these pillars, I would crush all the Philistines in here and deliver my people. And God, not because Samson was good, not because he was a dope leader, not because he made all the right decisions as a person, God in his grace grants Samson actually another opportunity. And, and the Bible says his, the spirit of God came on him and he managed to push the wooden pillars out of place, and all the Philistines in there were crushed. And we get to see that Samson, in his death, he crushed more enemies than in his life. In his moment of weakness, he was actually the strongest. And, and if, we, if we just see that as a foreshadow of Jesus, 
See, Jesus, while he was on the cross, while he cried out, he said, Father, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And, he, and the Bible says that, that Jesus, he who knew no sin in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin. Jesus actually uh, put on the sins of the entire world, and it was in his most weakest moment where he cried out to God, and because he was crushed, because Jesus was crushed, the, the salvation of the world was given. And we get to see that in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53. Um, it says it like this. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, it, see in Jesus' moment, he cries out to God. And he becomes the perfect Nazarene. So instead of, uh, uh, instead of the story and the cycle continuing, man, Jesus crushes sin and death once and for all. The salvation and the deliverance of people was brought and the enemies of God were crushed. Sin and death. And lastly... We learn about God, that God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. And see, what I love about this, family, I'm imperfect. I'm one of the imperfect people. And see, I have to remind, man, there are so many times that I've been arrogant, even in my preparation of speaking. I've been thinking, hey, my talent and my skill will get me over. I really don't have to prepare that well. I really don't have to know, and I have to often ask God to forgive me of that. And, and I'm reminded daily, and I'm sure many of us, we're reminded daily how imperfect we really are. But here's what's dope. The Bible says that because Jesus lived a perfect life, we now get the credit, the people of God, those who say Jesus is my Lord and Savior, we now get the credit as if we lived a perfect life. That's the beauty of the gospel, now we get credit, the, the, the perfect um, living of, of Jesus' life now gets stored into our bank account. So now when God looks at us, what he sees is what Jesus has done, and that's why God's perfect plan can include imperfect people like you and I. And if that doesn't move you today, I don't, I don't know what does because for me, I'm just, I'm just being very honest and vulnerable today. Man, there are some times when I realize how imperfect I am. I think to myself, man, I'm here as a pastor. I'm here. Man, I, I work with Young Life and I share the gospel with kids. And I think about, Lord, how could you use me as part of this incredible plan? And sometimes it paralyzes me and, cre and, and causes me and, and, and I think about running away and not doing it. If I was to be, my, my fear and my insecurities rise up, and then I think, the perfect life of Christ gets stored into my bank account. And now when God sees me, he sees the work of Jesus on the cross. And it's there where we can honestly say, God's perfect plan includes imperfect people. In, in, uh, in 2 Timothy, verse 1 through 9, it says this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And family, it's that that we get to rejoice in. 
Let me pray. God, thank you for the truth of who you are. God, thank you for the reality that your perfect plan includes us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but simply because the life of Christ now is credited to us. And we can be called your people. God, thank you for the lineage and the history that we get to see in the Bible in 66 books over thousands of years old, but can be applicable to us here and now. God, thank you for the work of the cross and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.